Morning, Liberty. Hey, I think I got like a new little like slogan for our church, you know, like we can advertise it to people. It's like our announcements are, are longer than the average pastor's sermon, okay? <laughs> Not the average pastor's sermon here, just in general. We do got a lot going on, and I got two more announcements, so <laughs> you can get comfortable. <laughs> One, I want to acknowledge our Belize team is back, so give it up for them. Yep. Hopefully, you got to um, keep up on our website with the blog. Um, Justice did a great job of giving us kind of a play-by-play with pictures and updates, and man, God did some awesome stuff. We will hear from them um, sometime in the coming weeks um, about their trip. Also, we forgot to announce something very important. Our children's drama is this Friday and Saturday. Yes. So that is this Friday and Saturday. I encourage you all to come. We'll be giving the gospel each night after the presentation. Um, so pray for that as well. And if you're a guest, actually, we don't normally do like 500 announcements. So we actually talk in our uh, pastor, um, pastor meetings about keeping the announcements like short and sweet, right? But... Occasionally, we have some really key ones that we want to get across, and we want to promo some things. So um, the Armor of God is one of those things. Um, the Couples Night. Um, the War Room was awesome. If you haven't seen that movie, you've got to watch it. Really, really good. goes along with exactly what I'm preaching on. So uh, let's have the kids um, stand up. They're going to head out to um, catechism class, and I will pray. Lord, thank you so much um, that you are doing a lot here in this church and that... Um, and that it's you, God, and it's for you, and it's through you that we do it. So, Lord, uh, we hand this time over to you. Uh, we thank you, God, that you're our God, and that you called us, Lord, um, to be yours. Be with our kids, God. Bless them. Uh, let them learn your word. Let it be buried um, deep, deep, deep in their hearts. Let it bear much fruit. And I pray the same for us, God, um, that are going to hear the word here in the sanctuary, that it also would bear much, much fruit in our lives, Lord. So go before us, God. Prepare the way that you would have us to walk, and let us be faithful to do it. We love you. Amen. All right, we're continuing our study on spiritual warfare, and today we're going to look at the weapons of war that God has given us to do spiritual battle. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, 
and also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. We're going to start uh, looking at the defensive weapons that God gives us when we do spiritual battle. And the first one is the belt of truth that you see in verse 14. It says, having fastened on the belt of truth. Um, For the Roman soldier, the belt of truth, well, the belt, uh, was not a belt like we think of it. It was more like a, almost like an undergarment or piece of clothing worn under the armor that would kind of um, be across his chest and then come down. And then it would have like uh, strips of leather that were really designed to protect his thighs um, against any attack with sword or spear or whatever it might be. And as you prepare for battle, um, well, as he would prepare for battle, uh, he'd want this to be fastened securely so that movement was very easy for him. Um, so that he could be agile, he could be quick, he could make a move if he needed to and not get tangled up really in his, in his clothing or his armor. Think if you've ever been to um, a basketball game, usually sometime in practice or right before the tip-off, what are the basketball players doing? They're kind of tucking their shirt inside their shorts, they're tying their drawstrings, making sure their shoes are tied. If they've got glasses on, they're tightening the thing to keep their glasses on. What are they doing? They're fastening their uh, uniform, right? So they can be quick, so they can be agile, so nothing slows them down. It's kind of the same idea here, so too, um, with the soldier. Uh, The last thing you'd want on the field of battle is to get tangled up um, in your own armor and have that be... uh, Uh, a mistake that was costly. So why does Paul mention um, this piece of armor first? Because truth is essential to doing battle. And in Christ, um, there's no deceitful way to do battle. There's no tricky way to do battle. Uh, The battle has to be done with truth. The truth must come first. It's mentioned first because it needs to come first. Um, think of Satan. He is the father of lies, John 8 says. The father of lies. Well, guess what? The father of lies is best defeated with the truth. Um, it's Satan's very nature to lie. He hates the truth. Why? Because it exposes him for what he is. A liar. So he does battle best when, when he can twist and when he can distort things, when he can take the truth and put a little spin on it. That, that's how he operates best. That is not how the believer operates best. The believer has to operate always and only in truth. Doug Wilson uh, addresses this in a, in a great book he's written on justice. And I want you to listen to this. This is what he says. Those who love a lie are not constrained by facts and can fight dirty or not as it pleases them. They can twist a how-do-you-do into something sinister. They craft their accusations in such a way that any and every response is more proof of their claim. Truth, on the other hand, is constrained by its own nature and the bounds of Scripture. Truth fights by the rules, and lies fight lawlessly. 
This might seem like an insuperable disadvantage, but there is something else to consider. All right, and check this out. This is good. Truth fights under the covenant blessing of the triune God, while lies are in the service of the devil, who loves to double-cross and abandon his own instruments. When Judas was hunting for the rope, the devil wasn't trying to save him. He goes on and says, the great Puritan writer Jeremiah Burroughs put it this way, truth is the bond that keeps unity, but error is wild. Because error is wild, Wilson goes on to say, the best thing for truth to do is stay on the path, not turning aside to the right or the left. Truth should do what truth does the best, which is to move on straight ahead. Truth fights when it has to, but it fights in the path in order to stay on the path. Isn't that good? It's very true. Very true. This means a a few things for us. First, we are best prepared when we dwell on, when we meditate on, when we consider, when we think on, when we learn, and when we study the truth. You have to let the truth flow through you and into you. This is why being in the Word is so important. All right, one of my favorite verses I've told you before, John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. So it's coming in, and it's having a sanctifying effect. It affects you. That's why it's good to be in this. It sanctifies you. Uh, Second, we must speak truth and only truth. There's no place for lying or deception in the Christian life. And I am shocked, I'm dismayed, I'm even disheartened um, at the lies that flow from the mouths of believers. Uh, We're not to use our words to color the truth, misconstrue the truth, put a spin on the truth, mislead regarding the truth. We must speak the truth. We must speak it and only the truth. Listen, if we want to have real relationship with one another... Um, Trust is the foundation for those relationships. And if you lie, what does that lead to? Mistrust. So at the heart of relationships, mine with yours, you with one another, with your spouse, with your kids, if you are lying, if lies are creeping in, um, that destroys relationships because it destroys trust. If I can't trust you that you're going to give me the truth, then, and you can't trust me that I'm going to give you the truth, then we're going to end up with a broken relationship very quickly. Uh, the same is true with our relationship with God, because we can lie to ourselves, and that can interrupt our relationship with the Lord. And we can lie and make ourselves think certain things about what God is doing or what he has done, and we end up calling, I mean, as the Apostle John says, we call God a liar. But it's really us, because we're not understanding the truth. We're not believing the truth. So we need to speak the truth and only the truth. We have to do this in love. Okay? Ephesians, if you study Ephesians, it is an amazing book. And, I mean, obviously it's divinely inspired. And if you study it, you will be blown away at how perfectly it is woven together. I know the other 65 books are just the same way. But I've been diving into Ephesians a whole lot. 
So I'm seeing it firsthand. And all these themes that we're seeing are, being, are coming together right at the end of Ephesians when he says his verse 10, finally. He, I mean, he really pulls in the other five chapters to put everything perfectly together as he says his last words to the Ephesians and now to us. But look in Ephesians 4, and you see something here. Let's start in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So we need to speak, when we speak the truth, we need to speak it in love. I've had people say to me, I'm just telling you what I think. Well, that's great. That's good. But, but do it in love. All right? Some people say, I'm just being honest. That's great. Um, but if you're going to speak the truth in love, then, then rarely are you going to be brutally honest. Because it's hard to speak the truth in love. Listen, God is truthful with us, but he is very gracious and how he delivers that truth to us. And we would do well to mimic him in that area. Uh, you know what? Sometimes he gives that hard word to us, right to our face. Um, but other times it's a rather soft and gentle word. And he's been speaking to us about it for days and weeks and even months. And he's been rather gracious in the delivery of that truth to us. So we need to choose wisely how we deliver the truth to people. I want you to notice something. I want you to notice how Jesus came to this earth. John, if you turn to the book of John, John chapter 1, John is laying out some, an amazing important truth in his first chapter here. Foundational things for Christianity. We're going to pick it up in verse 14. And he says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, he, he, this is like one of the best verses in the Bible, folks. All right? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God himself became a man. I mean, there should be like little mind explosions going off in our head. I mean, this, this is amazing. But notice what he says. We have seen his glory. All right, John's, he's testifying. He's a witness to what he saw. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. And what is Jesus full of? Grace and truth. Grace and truth. And he goes on. John, he's talking about John the Baptist. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
two key things. Grace, which we talk about a lot, and we need to, but also truth. Truth is foundational. It is key. So the truth has to be closest to us. It needs to be fastened securely to us, just like the undergarment of the Roman soldier. Listen, if you have Jesus, you have the truth. You have it. And the more Jesus you have, the more truth you have. Why? Because the light of Christ, it shines into your heart. And it clears away the darkness. That's what Ephesians 5 says. Uh, Look at Ephesians 5. So Paul's exhorting them. And he says in verse 6, Let no one of chapter 5, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers, or excuse me, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. All right, did you catch that? In verse 13 and 14, anything exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Anything that becomes visible is light. All right, go chew on that for like a week or two, all right? Because I've been chewing on it for like 20 years. Um, but, but the gist of it is as Christ is shining in our hearts and he is shining in the darkness, the darkness is fleeing. And where there is not darkness, the light comes in and becomes greater and greater. As you get more of Jesus, you get more truth. The darkness goes, the light comes in. So, listen to this. Truth puts everything in its proper place. It puts everything in its proper place. Look back at John for a second. As I was studying for this week, I was um, just amazed at how much John, the apostle, talks about truth. In John, in 1 John, in 2 John, in 3 John. Truth, 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 truth. Uh, if you want a little Bible study to do, just get your little concordance out, look up truth, turn to uh, John 8, uh, look up truth and, and see how John uses it through his uh, letters in the gospel. Now this is probably one of the most misquoted verses by unbelievers everywhere. John 8. So Jesus said to the disciples, you guys want to know what verse I'm in? Yes. It's 31. You're like, I want to know what verse they misquote all the time. Well, it's not verse 31. We're leading up to it. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What's misquoted all the time? Verse 32. It's either you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free, or it's just the truth will set you free. Here's the challenge, friends. That's a conditional statement. Okay, look back at verse 31. If, there's a condition, if you abide in my word, then 
you are truly my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and then the truth will set you free. It's a conditional statement. The condition is you have to abide in Jesus' word. If you want the truth to set you free, you have to abide in his word. You have to walk in the truth. So truth puts everything in its proper place. I mean, think of worship. We're back to John. Look at John chapter 4. You want to worship God? How do you do that? There's a right way, and there's a wrong way. I mean, did you realize you can worship God in a wrong way? You ever read the Old Testament? I mean, it's pretty specific how you're going to worship the Lord. Right? Sacrifices, and you've got to measure out this much, and if you're doing this sacrifice, you have to have this type of animal, and if you don't have enough money, then you can bring this type of animal... I mean, it was very specific if you were going to worship the Lord. Why? Because there is a right way to worship him, and there is a wrong way to worship him. And that's what John says. Again, a verse you've probably heard before. Verse 24. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So we need to worship God in a right way, with the truth. In the truth. Because here's the thing. Those who have the Spirit of God will walk in truth. They will walk in truth. When you look at their life, when you characterize who they are, it will be characterized by walking in truth. Why? Because the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. You know the name that the Apostle John uses most for the Holy Spirit? is not the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit of truth. Look at John 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. Look at John 15, verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And then John 16, verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. All right, do you see the contrast? You have the father of lies and you have the spirit of truth. Okay? Believers are characterized by the spirit which fills them, the spirit of truth. Unbelievers by the father of lies. Paul even calls the gospel in Ephesians 1 the word of truth. It is the word of truth. And he says to Timothy in 2 Timothy to properly handle the word of truth, talking about the Bible. And Proverbs exhorts us in Proverbs 23 to buy truth and do not sell it. It is a valuable commodity and sadly in short supply today. This truth, this external truth, it stands on its own. But we have to take this external truth and we have to internalize it. So you have truth on the outside, which should lead to truth on the inside. 
And if we just have it on the outside and it doesn't come in, it's not going to do us any good. We have to have it in our hearts. It has to be transformative. What does this mean? You have to walk in the truth. Over and over and over and over again in Ephesians, Paul uses this term of walking, which just means basically living, right? Living it out. And so the first three chapters, um, as Paul normally does when he's writing the letter, it's all about basically doctrine, right thinking, right thinking, right thinking. All right? So he's laying the foundation. Here is the truth. And then he tells them, here's what you do with the truth. So look back at Ephesians chapter 4. So first three chapters, right thinking. He lays the foundation with doctrine. Then he gets to chapter 4, and he immediately begins with right action. See, right thinking leads to right action. He says this in verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner from the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Look down at verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Okay? Walk, not like them, but like Christ. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Walk in love. Verse 7. Therefore, do not become partake, partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And then verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Walking shows action. You know it, and now you need to do it. We could look at much more about what John says about walking. Okay? The believer, listen, the believer has to be for truth. The believer has to be for truth. Um, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. And Peter tells his um, people, in 2 Peter, the people he's writing to, he tells them they are established in the truth. Established in it. Okay, so it, it doesn't matter if you just know it in your head, intellectually, and if you have the truth, it has to be something that you grasp and make it for yourself, and that you walk it out. Um, the Bible talks about two types of knowing, and uh, one is more of an observation you get to know, and one of them is more know from experience. And so a lot of times when you're reading it, it'll say no, you need to know the truth. Um, well, sometimes it uses the one form, observe it, see it from a distance. But other times it uses the second form, you need to bring it in. You need to, uh, it really has the idea of knowing from experience or relation. So you, a lot of times when it's talking about um, our knowledge of Christ, it uses the relationship one. Not just like studying about Jesus or about God, not just learning from it, like in a classroom setting, but, but knowing in a relationship aspect. Martin Lloyd-Jones, um, one of the great preachers uh, from England, he said the most dangerous job 
in the world is a pastor's job. And he said it was a dangerous job because week after week he has to study the scriptures and he has to bring his intellect and his mind to it and the danger is, is that that's where he stops. And he doesn't take that next step of not just the intellect and the mind, but letting it come into his heart. Because he has to deliver something, right? And he wants it to, to be good and, and sound, and sound uh, good and, 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 and sound intelligent and academic. But, but there has to be heart to it. And so he, it's a dangerous job because they can get so focused on the first part of the sermon prep that they never let it touch them. Right? That's, that's the danger... Um, with you instructing your kids. There's a danger in, in instructing your kids in the Word. And the danger is, is that you just teach them from almost like hands distance. And you're just giving them facts and knowledge. You have to be careful with that. Just facts and knowledge. Because I've met many people who know a whole lot about this Word, but they don't know Him. And it's a sad thing. When I was down doing my undergrad, <clears throat> my teachers, I mean, top of the line, you know, Research One University, they had the best of the best. These people were sharp, and they, they, knew, they knew the word, but they didn't know the word, Jesus. They just didn't. So there is a danger for any of us when we come to the scriptures of just making it a mere academic exercise, and we have to be careful. We have to be careful for ourselves. We have to be careful for our children. They will, they will mimic what they see us doing. Yes. So we have to be careful. We need to make sure we don't just, aren't just learning it and studying it, but it's actually being transformative. It's actually doing something inside of us. And we need to help them learn how to do that too. All right. It's great if you're encouraging and training and disciplining your kids to have a quiet time, to pray. You should be doing that. But how do they just take what they're learning and then get it into their heart? You have to help them with that step, too. It's a lot more challenging to have that. Okay. But that, that's why the scriptures differentiate between the two types of knowing. Okay. Know from observation, from what you see from a distance maybe, but also know personally. You need both in the Christian life. If you just know personally, then you're going to end up with the wrong Jesus. Because you won't have, you won't have that learning, that intelligence. You'll just have whatever form of Jesus that you want. And sadly, that's what's happened in some aspects of the Christian church. Okay? If you just have the first one, where it's just a mere academic exercise, it's going to be cold and dry, and you will dry up. Your family will dry up. you got to have both. You have to have both. Okay. Um, the second piece of armor is the breastplate of righteousness. And that Greek word um, is actually the word thorax, which is what we just kind of took that into our English, right? Kind of like talking about part of the body with like Different insects or something. Hey, I don't know science, okay? I know the word. <laughs> but the thorax was the frontal metal piece, which was vital for the protection of the chest, lungs, and heart. Usually it was metal. Sometimes it could be like a kind of a toughened leather, but usually metal. Um, and it was there, so whether it, there was a close encounter with the enemy, 
and he was striking very near, or he was far off in the distance, whatever, throwing the spear, shooting the arrow, the vital parts would be protected. So it is the breastplate of righteousness. What protects us? What protects our vital parts? It's really the righteousness of Christ. There's, there's going to be two aspects here because there's also kind of like our righteousness in regards to like sanctification and holiness and living it out. But, but the first one is Christ's righteousness. You have to have Christ's own righteousness if you're going to be protected against the strikes of the enemy. Think of what Philippians says. Paul is talking... Well, let's just look there. We're just one book away. Philippians 3. He says this in verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. We have to have a Christ's righteousness as our covering. That is the thing that protects us. All right? We don't want to pride ourselves on how we live or how we walk. It is Christ's. It is his righteousness that we first have that allows us to have any righteous living because it comes in him. So we have the righteousness of Christ. Remember we talked about a couple weeks ago? All right? Our sins put onto Christ, but his righteousness given to us. That's the only way you can have, actually, real salvation. Because it's one thing just to have your sins removed, but then you're just like, almost like a neutral. Like, you're just, you're just there. You've got to have righteousness. Now, we can't produce that in ourselves. You've got to have the righteousness of Christ. So, our sins on him, his righteousness to us. That is a protection for us. But there's also the aspect of the righteousness that we have as we live it out. We have to live it out. Okay? We can't just go walking around and say we have the righteousness of Christ and then choose to sin however we want to choose. And that's contradictory. It doesn't even make sense. So we have the righteousness of Christ, which allows us to walk in righteousness, allows us to have holy living. Uh, this doesn't just mean our actions it also means our words. All right? Back to speaking the truth. Because here's the thing. Look, God hasn't just redeemed your body and your mind and your heart. He's redeemed your mouth. He did not forget that part. Uh, but that is how some of you act. I'm just going to say it. Look, God is not glorified when you use foul language. God is not glorified when you tell offhanded jokes. God is not glorified when you speak down to your spouse. He is not glorified when you verbally mistreat your children. It needs to stop. And some of you, you need to take some Holy Spirit soap and wash out that mouth. Uh, anyone ever here get the bar of soap in the mouth treatment? Yeah, me too. Okay. Uh, worst thing to do is to try to keep that bar of soap from going in your mouth by clenching your teeth, okay? You just ended up with more soap, 
rubbed off on those teeth. <clears throat> it was a lesson that I learned rather quickly. I learned it just once. Listen, folks, uh, my dad was an unbeliever for the vast majority of his life. All right? Uh, probably only the last couple years was he saved. He lived uh, right up to 70. Um, he had a lot more sanctified mouth than I heard from some of you. And I lived with my dad. And I can count on one hand the number of times I heard him say curse words. One hand. As an unbeliever, living in his house, growing up with him. One hand. And some of you, below that, in a week, in a day. That, that should not be. James says, uses the comparison, salt spring and fresh spring. How can salt water come from a fresh spring when he's talking about the mouth? And Jesus said it best, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth <coughs> speaks. So let that echo for a moment. Because we all need some mouthwashing regarding our speech. All of us. It is not pleasing to the Lord what we are saying. Everything that comes from our mouth, we will be held accountable for. That's what the word says. We're going to have to account for it. So let us be wise with our speech. Okay? Ephesians, back to Ephesians, it says, season it, right? Season it with salt. Make it a pleasing thing to hear conversation. When people hear you speak, let it be a blessing, not a curse. And too many of us are walking around and we're throwing out curses, literally and figuratively. Our mouth should be a blessing to others. Our speech should be gracious and kind. All right? Whatever words we got, we got to get them out. We got to repent. We got to move on. We got to take steps to do that. Okay? But it's not of Christ to use that language. It just is not. It does not bring him glory. It does not bring him glory. If you're a believer, you want to walk in the truth. And it's the truth with your mouth that is also included there. So, truth needs to be held fast to us. Righteousness covers us. We're covered with the righteousness of Christ. Again, back in Ephesians, he talks about putting on the new man. And that's really part of the idea there. There's this righteousness of us now walking it out because of what Christ has done for us. So truth and righteousness, they are indispensable in our fight. Indispensable. We cannot do it without the truth. We cannot do it without Christ's righteousness. And those things, for the believer, have a transformative effect. It should be obvious to people. If you are clothed with those two pieces of the armor, they should know it. They shouldn't have to ask. It should be obvious in the way you conduct yourselves and the speech that you use. So I implore you, if you need to get real truth, to put it on. If you've just had your belt laying to the side... It's time to pick it up. 
the breastplate has been laying over here and you've been living in your own ways, it's time to put it on. That's where Satan's going to get you. He'll choose your weakest piece of armor, the armor maybe that you don't even have on, and he will attack you. Okay? We must keep those things near to us. We have no other option. Let's pray. Lord, forgive us for the words that have come out of our mouth that have been unkind, unpleasing, not gracious, harsh, mean, rude, for the lies that we've spoken to our spouse, to our children, to our friends, to those in authority over us, God, forgive us for those things. I pray that whoever that applies to here, Lord, I'm just going to give them a second to make that right with you. We do thank you, Lord, for the Lamb. We thank you for his blood that covers us, that if we turn back to you, God, you are a God who is quick to forgive over and over and over. We thank you for that. We thank you that you are patient, that you are a long-suffering God, patient with us. So, Lord, let us hear the word today and let us act on it. Let us have the truth and live out the truth. Do your work in us, God. We love you. Amen.